HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. The Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture will be hosting their annual Young Farmers and Cooks Conference virtually this year on December 8th through 10th. Programming will cover topics like mutual aid, regional grain economies, land management practices, and much, much more. Whether you're a farmer, cook, butcher, miller, preservationist, processor, or anyone else in the food chain, this conference is for you. Learn more at stonebarncenter.org YFCC. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, December 1st, 2020. We're recording remotely, and we're talking about shipping malt down the Hudson River uh, in, in a boat. And uh, we've got some great guests here. So let's start with Dennis. Please introduce yourself. So I'm Dennis Nessel from Hudson Valley Malt in Germantown. You know, Dennis, I remember it was 2016 I, I first visited you and I'm really looking forward to hearing, you know, all the changes and the different breweries that you work with. So thanks so much for reaching out and help coordinating the show. So let's get um, Schooner Sam on. Sam? Hello. Uh, my name's Sam Merritt uh, from the Schooner Apollonia. Great. And we also have Matt. Yeah, I'm uh, Matt Curtin from Sing Sing Kill Brewery. And Jamie? Yeah, this is Jamie from Millhouse Brewing Company in Poughkeepsie, New York. Okay, so let's let's start with with Sam. I'm calling you Schooner Sam. Um, I, I saw a picture of you bringing uh, malts down from Dennis up in Germantown by Hudson uh, down to New York City to Strong Rope and Van Brunt, and this kind of caught my eye. You, you were doing the Mid Hudson with Austining and Newburgh and, and Poughkeepsie. So just tell us a little bit about how you got started. I know there's there's some history of of, of people trying sail freight, like the Vermont sail freight number of years ago. But how did you get into this? Um, because you, you don't hear too much about this. And every time it's a cool project and a year goes by and I never hear about it again. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, so, I mean, I, I will give a lot of credit to the Vermont Sail Freight Project and absolutely 
uh, was inspired by seeing their effort. I mean, it's interesting, right? Sail Freight is not a new idea. And so I never try to take credit for it. And I don't think uh, anyone really can. Like the Hudson River was the original super highway of our region. And you, you know, transport back 200 years into the past. That's how everything was moving around. That said, obviously, in our current world where there's like concern about uh, the climate, there's concern about uh, fossil fuel consumption. Uh, I, I found it really inspiring to think about how could we use the river as a, as a place for transportation and how could we use sailboats as an alternative fuel? Because I'd worked with alternative fuels for years. And honestly, almost all the alternative fuels I worked with, I always felt like it was this sort of like doing less bad. You know, it was like, oh, we'll burn vegetable oil instead of diesel, and it doesn't emit as much sulfur, but there's still something coming out the tailpipe. And I'm not uh, opposed to any of those alternative fuels, but there's something very refreshing about sailing, um, specifically because it's truly a positive way to transport. We, we put the sails up, there's no engine running. We can uh, go with the power of the wind um, and we can travel along the Hudson River. So, I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's an amazing resource we have in this area. It's got amazing history. And my, my feeling is it has uh, great utility in the future. And you're right, there've been a lot of like demonstration projects doing sail freight. And uh, what we're trying very hard to do with the schooner Apollonia is not just be a blip, not just be a gimmick, and not just be a demonstration project. We're trying to like establish trade routes that will persist, trade routes that our vessel will do, or ideally trade routes that other boats will get involved in doing. So tell me where you're based, and and what are some of the typical trade routes that that you can do, and and what what are your, what's your ideal route? Sure, good good questions. I mean, I'm based in Hudson. Um, the, the city of Hudson, which is, um, you know, across the, the river from Catskill, if you know the area at all. Um, and we, we sort of see the whole Hudson River as our region. Uh, we'll go anywhere from Albany to New York City. Um, and our ideal route is, is anyone who's trying to ship to and from the river and who's got proximity to it. Like, we, we really want to try to set up models which work and models which don't rely on a lot of trucks at the beginning and the end of the the trip otherwise it sort of feels like uh, the boat is less important and so i i it's awesome to be on this beer show and i i don't think i necessarily would have guessed i'd be on this show like a year ago if you'd asked me um but i have to say there's amazing um brewers are very progressive folks um the people who make the products like dennis are extremely progressive also and amazingly uh their their proximity to the river is just it's perfect i mean it's it's like you know uh, there are, are many uh, examples of people we like to connect, but I have to say, uh, because we're talking about brewers, we might as well focus on them, and they are. It's pretty ideal for us to, to connect to people who are so close to the Hudson River and people who are making something that has a story and a connection to the Hudson River, right? Like, we, we absolutely see what we're doing as, uh, as improving the product and as, like, expanding the product. And, you know, that's not only because we can help get the word out about it, um, but it's also because we can add to the story of how it was made. So let's do this. Let's work our way down the river. So, so you, you you're in Hudson. Let's start with Dennis. So Dennis, you're in Germantown. Tell us a little bit about your craft uh, malt and how you load it up and where you load up. Like the connection to the boat and the river for you. So uh, you know, so we make malt, uh, but more importantly, we make uh, what's known as craft malt, Jimmy. And so um, for those that are listening. Malt is the backbone ingredient 
for beer and whiskeys. The brewer and a the distiller, they need a sugar source. So the farmer grows the grain and, and our farming partners are all around us here within three to seven miles away from the malt house. We are, uh, our malt house is situated about a mile from the banks of the Hudson. But our farmers, Ken Miglarelli is in uh, Red Hook and uh, Stonehouse Farms uh, where um, they grow our famous six row is six miles up the road. And so we, we take the grain in from these growers and we hydrate it in tanks. And as it starts to germinate and grow, it germinates in Germantown. You get it? So as it germinates, the plant does the work. It breaks its own protein down and synthesizes enzymes. The enzyme eventually connects with the starch and creates sugar is what Jamie and Matt need to make beer. But it has to be malted first. What my wife and I saw back in 2015 is we had growers here that would grow the barley and we had brewers like Jamie and Matt that wanted to support local agriculture, but there was no malt house that, that really connected the grower to the brewer. So that's we kind of remedied that situation. So now we make what we call craft malt and craft malt is sourcing grains that are close to you. And two and a half miles or four to 10 miles away is very, very close. Well, Dennis, um, you, you have a great yeah. story. And uh, in one of the On the Road episodes, we, we were up there with you and Evan Watson at Plan B and, and Jake at uh, From the Ground Brewery. And we, in fact, we were even at the Migliorelli farm. We saw some of the barley coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, t- tell us, we're going to talk more about that in the show, but tell us just how you, how you get to the river. But, you know, where do you load up? Is there a dock? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about the viability of... of of oh, transporting on the river. Yeah, they're five miles up the road. So I drive down to Sam's dock where the Apollonia is waiting. And he has a whole crew there. I back my truck up. These guys unload my truck onto onto trikes, onto, you know, pedal power. They are they are unloading like tons of malt onto these uh to these bikes and uh Kind of like a rickshaw, right, Captain? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's hard to describe them. We've used a number of different sort of pieces of technology, but but yes, uh, but we have both an electric trike with a trailer, and we have like um, also just like a workhorse trike that has no trailer. These guys are great. I mean, it's like you know, you know, you've heard the saying, "Many shoulders lighten the load." So they unload. <laughs> they take. Yep, they take it down to the boat. And maybe you saw the picture where how they load the boat. Sam, tell them how you load the bags of malt into the hold of the Apollonia. Well, well, we've been we've been uh, trying a few different techniques, but the la- the most successful technique we found out because the fixed pier is higher than the boat, we were able to make a slide out of one of our old sails. And so, yeah, Dennis gets it to the waterfront in Hudson using pedal powered technology. We get it to the fixed pier, which is the dock that we're tied up at, and then we actually using a sail. We literally slide these bags of malt. They're, you know, the bags of malt, they're 50 pound bags. They're actually like, it's kind of the perfect amount of weight because it's it's relatively efficient. You know, you can move it pretty quick, but it's also anyone can pick it up and you can lift them over and over again. It doesn't wear you out that much. And we slide it down this sail um, and then stack them right inside the cargo hold. And honestly, the only complicated part is keeping track of which bag is going to who. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, uh, Hey, Jimmy, I just there's one thing I just want to say. Sam came to me last winter and told me this idea. He came to my malt house. All right. 
And he told me all about it. And I thought it was great. Um, and as, as, you know, as time went on, he followed up with me and, and when COVID hit, um, it was just basically, I thought it was a great idea. Um, I hadn't had my head completely wrapped around it because we were in survival mode. Right. So, um, so, and I knew my brewers were in survival mode trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to get over this challenge? And uh, I really was, so my head wasn't there and Sam was following up with me. And then one day, um, his friend, John Bowermaster called me and he said, Dennis, don't you think it would be good to be part of something that's good in times like this? I mean, something that's uplifting and positive. And I have to tell you, you know, you know, Sam, you were very, very good at your presentation to me. But when John Bowermaster said that, I actually stopped and I said, you know, uh, he's right. I want to be part of something good. So that's where I reached out and talked to people like Jamie Bishop, uh, Matt Curtin and my brewers up and down the river that I thought it would make sense to. And they were they were just loving the idea. So that's uh, that's my little story on on why I got involved with Sam. Well, that's great to have the backstory because I, I saw the pictures um, of you on the boat, the schooner. And uh, how many times, how many trips have you, have has your malt taken with Sam? We so did far? two. We we've done two, um, and the the first one was kind of like a quick a quick test, right, Sam? And then the second one was tonnage. You know. Yeah, totally. I mean, I guess Jimmy, just so you know, and so your listeners know. Um, this was very much a pilot season for us. So we were, um, we have, th there are many challenges to moving stuff on a sailboat, as you can imagine, you know, everything from the actual sailing to the coordination to getting on the boat. And as we were saying, because we really want this to be like a successful thing going forward and not just a demonstration gimmick, um, I'm committed to building it slow and steady. And, and I've been so appreciative of Dennis and the energy he's put into it and the fact that he gets what we're trying to do. And so, yeah, the first load, we just moved, I think it was five or 600 pounds. I don't remember exactly how much, but it wasn't a ton of malt. But it was, it was just to make sure it kind of worked out. Let's get the relationship built up. Let's move some stuff. Let's make sure we can get it to the right destination. Let's make sure humidity isn't a problem. I mean, there's a lot of concerns. And I wanted to make sure that, that genuinely what we're doing is improving his product, nothing that's, that's trouble for it. And then that went so well that we decided, hey, let's try another one. And so, yeah, we went from, I think it was 500 pounds the first time to 5,500 pounds the second time. And hopefully our next load will be like 10 or 12,000 pounds. And I think that's about where we'll be for loads going on forward from here. Wow, that's great. Well, let's go down the river. So you start at Hudson on this trip. And then what was the next stop in Poughkeepsie? Yeah. So yeah, let's so get, we... let's get um, Millhouse on and... Uh, just talk about the, them now. So let's hear about Millhouse, how close you are to the river. What's it like getting a delivery by water there? Yeah, so, you know, the brewery in Poughkeepsie is probably less than a mile from uh, Warriors Park with a public dock. So that's it, it basically took us about two minutes to get down there. And, uh, you know, Sam was waiting there with crew, with trike, um, ready to just, I, I think it took him, maybe all of about 10 minutes to unload about 1200 pounds of grain and uh, making, making sure he could catch the tide on the way out and sail along to his next destination. So it was, uh, it was, it was really cool to, um, you know, see that, 
So yeah, mode of transportation, especially for this beer for us, for Millhouse. Um, you know, it's an organic six row that it, it's, it's grown at Stonehouse that Dennis then floor malts. Um, it, it's all about, you know, terroir and it's a, it's a responsibly grown, locally grown, um, malt source for us where, you know, Millhouse and uh, like a lot of brewers, um, who aren't farm brewers are, are using a lot of, you know, big malts for we're production breweries. So it's, uh, this was a choice to, to, to make a, a beer with all New York State ingredients, and this one just made sense. And being that 90% of it's made from the Hudson River water, <laughs> it was awesome to think that we could get this malt down in a more responsible way, you know, on the Hudson River. I'm, I grew up on that river uh, my entire life, so, you know, I know its history, and, and it's just really cool to think that that's a mode of transportation that could be viable to, to bring not just grain, but other products up and down the river. So I was really stoked when Dennis came to me and told me about, you know, Sam's project. And I too talked to John a little bit and I said, you know, we're all in. Millhouse is definitely all in. So for this beer, it's a year round production beer for us. So uh, we did take a good amount of malt on that last journey and we can't wait for spring to come back. So Sam can uh, start putting malt down the river again for us. So De- Dennis said he's drinking the Millhouse Light. So is, is that the beer that you're making with uh, his Hudson Valley Malt Six Row? It is. Yeah, it's uh, it's a hundred percent Six Row, um, and it's three and a half percent light lager. That's a uh, hundred calories. You know, the beer's got a lot of a lot of different things going on with it, being that it's a you know an active lifestyle, easy drinking type of a session beer, but. For me as the brewer and, and the creator of the recipe is really about the local sourcing and um, really trying to show off what Dennis does so well and, and what the local farmers are doing around here. Can you tell, you know, when you guys are brewing, can you tell that it's been made, that malt's been made traditionally? Can you tell that it's been floor malted? Are, are there things that, that that does to, you know, your beer that more mass-produced malts don't do? I, you know, I think that every malt has a signature to it, um, Jimmy. And I think that, you know, whether it be a Maris Otter that's floor malted in a traditional manner or, or a two-row that's not, and uh, whether it was drum or kilned or how long. And, you know, even when you look at the variance in Pilsner malts and, and just uh, their color and SRM and flavor profile, I think, you know, maltsters are really, truly the heroes of brewing. I don't think people talk about it enough. Like... Brewers back in the day, I always used to say, have like the eight pack of Crayola crayons to try to make a, a picture. And now it's like we have the 124 pack. There's like seven different purples and seven different oranges. And it's the maltster who does that for the brewers. So, you know, really nuances in, in, in malting. And I think um, it's specific to every particular producer. It's their process is almost their recipe. Yeah, then the, the, the historical figure, Sam Adams, he was actually a maltster too. He wasn't a brewer, right? <laughs> a lot of history there. Let's go down the river now. So now we're down in Austining. I've been to Austining. There's there's some little yacht clubs there and some pleasure crafts. Um, let's tell us about Sing Sing Kill and uh, how you guys relate to the river and to the local malt. Hey, so uh, I'm Matt Curtin, and I am a co-owner and uh, head brewer of Sing Sing Kill Brewery. We've been open about three years now here right in the center of the village of Ossining. Um, we're located less than a half a mile from the river. We're right up the hill uh, from our from our waterfront. And, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because we uh, still have a commuter New York waterway stop 
for the ferry um, right here. The, the Ossining Havistraw Ferry still runs. And uh, so it presented a couple of challenges for us to, to find where the schooner was going to land. Um, as you can imagine, uh, when you're dealing with uh, the the uh, the animal that is New York transportation, uh, they were a little bit scared about us using the uh, ferry dock. So we went to our friends at the uh, Shattermuck Lock Yacht Club just up the way from the uh, from the, the metro the metro stop, and uh, we actually landed there. We've had a great relationship with that yacht club and with the waterfront in general. Um, you know, our our waterfront during the summer in normal times uh, hosts uh, Friday night concert series um, and the Fourth uh, of July party. The volunteer firemen have their uh, their parade ends with a party at our waterfront. It's the largest uh, pr- uh, parade fireman parade in Westchester County. We also have the um, the largest uh, Earth Day celebration in Westchester County on that waterfront. So um, we're constantly doing stuff down there. Um, another thing about Sing Sing Kill Brewery is uh, we're a New York farm brewery. Uh, we formulate all of our uh, recipes using as close to 100% of New York State ingredients as possible. Um, right now, every every beer on our menu is 100% New York State. Um, I don't believe I've used an, an out-of-New-York-State ingredient in you know, at least the six, eight months that I can think of, uh, you know, coming up, um, we try to formulate all our beers as close to hundred percent as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, when I was, I called up, uh, Dennis and we were kind of talking about, uh, getting another delivery of grain and he mentioned this pro uh, this project to us, you know, I, I almost fell off my chair because it's a, a perfect fit for the way that we run our, our business, um, and what we'd like to do going forward. Um, you know, we weren't able to locate a couple of draft horses to pull that, uh, 2000 pounds of grain <laughs> up the hill. Um, but I, I think that that's probably our next goal because, uh, you know, if you, once you get outside of the village of Austin, it's a very rural, uh, community, uh, that surrounds us. So, um, we're going to cast the net next time and see if we can do something like that. Wow, man. Yeah. So how, how did you get it off the boat there? So I know that you, you loaded on the boat with, with the sail. How do you get it off the boat? Uh, yeah, well, so that that's where the crew comes in. So uh, one of the w- wonderful things about uh, a bigger ship is you have a crew working for you. And so it was all unloaded by hand. But sort of as uh, as Jamie mentioned earlier, it's actually it is one of those honestly like many hands makes light work things. And if you get an efficient little fire line going, we can unload. I think we unloaded all the malt at the Poughkeepsie waterfront in something like three or four minutes just to get it out of the vessel and onto the dock. Um, and it probably took us maybe twice that long because it was a little bit of a bigger load in uh, in Austining. But similarly, once we get it off the dock, then the trick is to get it from the dock um, to where it's going. And in both cases, it's true that they brought a vehicle down to meet us. But even in Austining, I wish we knew how long that ma- that dock was, Matt. But that dock's probably an eighth of a mile long or something, right? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty big. <laughs> it was, so so we used this uh, this bicycle that pulls this trailer to actually ferry it back and forth. And, you know, again, so this is a pilot year for us. We're trying to figure this out. It's been awesome to connect with these brewers. And going forward, ideally, we'll have partners in the community who can do that sort of what I think of as like last mile logistics or delivery. But it's possible that we would just do it also. Like, you know, we were excited for this run. I wanted to meet Matt and I wanted to like see what they were all about and they wanted to see the boat. So it was very much a meet at the water made sense. But going forward, I could definitely see a model where we just pull up at the at the dock 
and we just can ride the the tricycle up and we can bring a few loads here and there and probably the guys would love it because i'm sure they'd drink a beer or two every time they made a delivery before they came back to get the next one and you know it could be kind of a fun thing and it could be an all afternoon kind of activity and so that that's definitely part of it and yeah whether it's a draft horse whether it's the tricycle whether it's an electric truck i mean there's a lot of different options so jumping to the beer, Sam, um, ha- have you tried the beers both from Millhouse and Sing Sing? Yeah, I, I'm actually drinking a Millhouse beer right now, and uh, and we had a, a wonderful introduction to all the Sing Sing beers that uh, that <laughs> night we were in Austin. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> I saw the pictures. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have, you have to understand, Jimmy. We we delivered the malt, which was awesome, and. Uh, then we they brought it straight up to Sing Sing, and it was out there on display in the tasting room. So it was, you know, the crew wanted to check it out, and I did too, of course. So we went up there, and it was pretty awesome to show up, and here's the tasting room, and there are all the bags of Dennis's malt just, like, laying out, ready to go. So I, I can make some historical fantasy. It's like there's a plague in your town, and you've been waiting for months for this boat to show up with malt so you can have beer so you can drink the water again right <laughs> something oh, like that Dennis you, you you you've got a great imagination and uh tell me some of the stories that went through your head when you're thinking about this all right so what I what I like about it is um so you know Matt Matt Curtin you're you're there talking about the horse team and um and that kind of brings back you know, ideas of the way things used to be, right? How the Hudson River was the highway. And uh, my wife, Jeanette, just found out uh, not too long ago that um, she has brewing heritage in her blood, which is really cool that her great-grandfather came here from Obertiefenbach, Germany in 1887. And he was a, a trained brewer in Bavaria in Germany, and he came to Third Avenue in the Bronx, and he worked in a lager brewery there. And in 1887, the malt came to the Bronx, which which at the time was there was it wasn't really a borough; it was New York City. And the malt came from upstate, where we are now. Right? We used to be the breadbasket, and it came down either by either by um, probably by 1886, it was probably by train and the water came from Croton Reservoir. So I think of, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the horse team and Matt and, 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 uh, and, and Captain Sam is delivering the malt by sail power and we're making malt. <laughs> you guys have been here and you see when you come here, you know, we don't have you know, big industrial stainless steel tanks, right? We've got shovels, we've got rakes, we have wheelbarrows, you know, we're using our arms, our backs, our brain, our senses. It's how we make our malt. And yeah, so we have some modern things going on where we're, you know, we're we're using uh, uh, a state-of-the-art furnace, but we make malt. My son used to say, dad, you know, you're you're working like the Flintstones, but we kind of make malt like the Flintstones on the front side of the house. And then we work a little bit like the Jetsons in the back where we clean it, we bag it, we palletize it, and then we get it out. But I, you know, the elements of the way things used to be is what we're all about. We're making malt the way malt was made in the 1880s, in the 1860s, in the 1850s. And what Jamie said earlier about every malt has a signature. I love that analogy, Jamie, is that our technique of making malt with shovels, with rakes, 
you know, we're that that permits us to put our signature on on the grain. It does taste different, and we want to be different. We want to stand out. So um, uh, that's what I think about when I think of the of the Apollonia and Sam is the way things used to be. Well, Dennis, to, to me, big part of this this show is just you and uh, you know floor malting. Tell us a little bit about your evolution, because I was there in 2016. What are some of the first things that you learned, and how long did it take you to really get up to speed? Well, um, the first things we learned, uh, you know, okay, so the brewers, thank thank God for the brewers here in the Hudson Valley, is that they were, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, they were our guinea pigs, right? I, I, I. Nobody could teach me how to make malt. You know, I was a home brewer. I love craft beer. We were growing our own barley here. We were growing our own hops. But I, I don't. I didn't want to go down the road of being a brewer. I thought Jeanette and I thought what was missing was the connection between the farmer and the brewers. We didn't have a malt house here in the Hudson Valley, so we have. You know, so in the beginning there. Uh, we didn't realize, Jimmy, that it was our job to build the supply chain. We just we just thought, okay, we'll partner with our growers. They grow it, we'll malt it, and we'll go out and we'll talk to brewers. Well, then the first the first season, the crop fails, right? And then when the barley crop fails, then what do you do? You, you, you just started this business. You have all these brewers, and your crop fails. Then you have to hustle, and you have to find growers, and you have to make relationships. And um, what we learned was you can't just have one farmer and uh, you really have to diversify and have many relationships and many growers and different, uh, you know, different farms around the Hudson Valley. So what we learned, Jimmy, is that we're not just making malt. What we learned is that we're building a supply chain. And when I say we, I really mean the brewers, the distillers, the maltster. The farmers, the uh, the uh, the people at Cornell, the the scientists, um, the people at um, Hartwick, all all of those people, you know, uh, we're all part of this supply chain that we've built from scratch here in the Hudson Valley. So five years ago, here in the Hudson Valley, you couldn't find uh, quality malting barley. Uh, to make good beer. So uh, we we we're really excited that we've come this far where we now have something that we can call our very own uh, malting barley supply chain right here. Not Dennis, that's a great point, because you think about anything you think about over the years, a upstate farmer has a product and trying to sell direct like pigs directly to restaurants. And by not having that person in the middle, you know, whether it's a distributor or who's shipping and collecting money and, and has existing accounts, you know, often it, it, it ends in ruin for at least one side. Um, so you, you did you think it was going to take you this long? It's like, you know, five, five, six years later, um, you're do you feel like you've got the supply chain now or it needs a lot more work? It needs to, you know, I think we've got a wonderful supply chain, but we're, we're making it stronger. And, you know, uh, I, you know, if, I bet Jamie has a similar story and Matt has a similar story. We, you know, where we are today as compared to where we were five years ago and what we've learned along the way has, you know, made our, you know, our malt house better. 
and, and made our supply chain stronger. Yeah, we 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 have to constantly fight the weather, Jimmy. We we could have you know a bad season. What do you do when you have a bad season and uh, and and you don't have barley, right? So we're constantly finding ways to manage those risks to make sure that we have a good bunch of growers uh, to make sure that we have all the latest information and in fighting you know the fusarium head blight and the pre-sprout. Uh, germination, all of those kinds of things, using the right varieties, uh, planting the right varieties in the field. We take we take our uh, brewers out to the field and connect them so that they get to meet the growers. Like uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie was with me uh, in the field with Stonehouse Farms this past summer. Matt, I'd love to get you up here too this next summer. That's great. Hey guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select whole food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to lardermeatco.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R meatco.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, become a member, donate, or check out our online auction at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking about local malt and shipping it down the Hudson River. Um, so Millhouse, the, the beer everyone's talking about is the Millhouse Light made with a six-row barley and some of it from uh, Dennis at Hudson Valley Malt. Um, 3.5% for a beer. What? That seems like a, a good ABV for me. Um, how did you come up with the light beer? You know, the development process, the recipe um, seems to be the beer that everyone wants to drink right now. I, I mean, we, we we like to brew a lot of different beers, just like most breweries, I think. But we really wanted to, like, do something um, in that light lager ca- category. I think I think as a, as a brewer, we, we we all can kind of say that like lager brewing is is uh, is something unto itself than let's say brewing some other types of beers, and that and doing a light lager, anything any flaw will will show. It's a and it's a really a challenge. And the three point five percent that too to me is kind of a you know it's a, it's the lowest ABV beer that we've currently brewed in the eight years at Millhouse. Um, but, but this is that beer that, you, you know, it's, uh, it's a hundred calories. It's, it's flavorful, but really light still has some body. The, the design was really to make something that would be drinkable, 
that um, was recognizable to people who maybe uh, are afraid of craft beer as well. You know, the, like we brew a, a Kolsch. And, and I always said that that was like kind of our gateway craft beer because we have a beer, we have a brew pub. So we have lots of people who come in who are, who are not, you know, necessarily there just for the beer. They're there for some of the food, um, the ambiance and, and what we got going on at Millhouse. So this was, this was like another beer like that to just um, take people maybe, you know, uh, out of their wheelhouse and have them have their first craft beer or, or someone who really knows a lot about craft beer to understand what it takes to make a really nice, light, clean, light lager. Um, so it was a challenge for us. And, and to do it, too, with, um, you know, some social responsibility. Um, we rely heavily on the Hudson River as our source water. Um, you know, we, we live in this area. Um, and, and we want, just wanted to make something that was a testament to it. And that the style itself was just like... Um, we love doing session beers. We've, we've got a bunch of them in our repertoire. So this, this was one that we just hadn't kind of put the notch in our belt on. Well, yeah, 3.5 ABV is, is a pretty sweet level. People forget that re- regular Guinness is only 3.5% also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dennis, you're, you're knocking them back. Uh, what's, you probably drink all the beers from all your brewers, don't you? I got, <laughs> of course. So who's got it better than me, right? Uh, I, um, the brewer, these, these guys are great when they come to the malt house or when I go there, they load me up. And, uh, so I'm on my third Millhouse light, but you know, Matt, I got to get some of yours, man. Uh, I got to get some too many <laughs> mats. And it's funny. We've got, we've actually got two mats on this show, right? Yeah. The engineer too. Yeah. But you're, you're saying it's, they're hundred calorie beers. You're drinking three of them, but I still think 3.5% is a sweet spot. That's going to be another show because I just had a lager that was 2.4%. And, uh, I, I don't, I think 3.5 is, is as low as I want. Let's go, let's go back to Sing Sing. So Matt, just tell us a little overview of, of your operation. So you're, you're a New York state ingredient a farm brewery. Just give us a run through what's on tap right now. What, you know, what's in can, you know, All right. So what, uh, what beers are you making? Yeah, we, um, like you said, we are a New York farm brewery. That's the only license that we hold. Um, and uh, we do have a, our tap room, our tasting room here uh, in, in the downtown of Austin. Um, you know, I kind of had the, the same idea as like a, like a chef does at a restaurant. Um, you don't only have one thing on the menu. And uh, so when we have people come in, I like to have a little something for everybody. Uh, usually I have a double IPA, um, a single IPA. And what we're joking around about is that, um, you know, at any given time in our taste, in our tasting room, we'll have three or four mats hanging around. My name is Matt. We have an investor that's Matt. Uh, A couple of our friends are Matt. So our, our, uh, our, one of our IPAs that we usually have on tap is so many mats. And the, uh, the version that came back this time, uh, is our, is our double IPA. That's too many mats. Uh, so that's what we're joking around about when you get all these mats together. seems like Matt's congregate around craft beer. I don't know what that's all about. Um, we also have, uh, we did a, a harvest ale. Um, we'd like to partner with uh, local growers uh, of hops as well. Um, so our friends down at Duncan's Abbey, Justin called me up uh, toward the end of his hops, hop growing season and told me that he uh, was going to have an abundance of hops this year and wondered if we could do a collaboration. So uh, we did a, a wet hop harvest ale um, with that. Uh, we, um, what I have, what I'm drinking tonight is a Pilsner 
that we did a, a test batch on our pilot system with uh, using the six, again, using the six row barley. Uh, this is the first time I've been using six row up to this point. I've been predominantly using two row. And uh, I just wanted to see how it react. And a Pilsner, you know, it's one of those beers that really kind of showcases uh, what you're doing as a brewer. Um, you know, it's kind of funny when you get all brewers together and we're out in like the CBC, when, back in the years when we used to actually have those, uh, we'd go to, you know, we'd take over an entire town and you always found the brewers like kind of congregating around a place that made the best Pilsner. And that, that kind of sticks with me because, uh, you know, you're not hiding anything with uh, mountains of uh, double and triple dry hopping. Um, so I thought it was a good opportunity to see, you know, what Dennis's grain does. And, and we, we couldn't be happier, you know. Um, I paired it up with uh, hops that are grown up in Orange County, uh, for, uh, friends of ours that we also feature uh, their cider on tap, Pennings Farms. Um, and so it's kind of been a perfect fit for us. That's great. And Dennis, just to you, um, in your journey as a maltster, um, were you making the, the six-row barley from the beginning? Yeah, malt- so- yeah, so the story with the famous six row is when we first got the uh, when we first got the malt house built and and it was, we got licensed in May of 2015. Well, we didn't have a contract at that point with any growers, so um, Ken Miglarelli at that time um, had some uh, had some barley, but it. it really hadn't uh it, it wasn't the quality that you, that you need i mean it, it wouldn't germinate beyond 80 percent. so we started malting six row quest barley that quest uh by the way uh was developed by the university of minnesota and so we started malting that we cut our teeth on that jimmy um but i couldn't sell 500 pounds <laughs> because back then uh brewers were reluctant to use six row um and uh, what I found out was um, it, it's just it was just basically I felt that six row had this stigma attached to it because it's what the big guys used. And um, the uh, the craft brewers were, were going down a different road and they wanted plump two row barleys. But we didn't have that yet. So I cut my teeth on six row. Jimmy, what we love about this six row is um, and I've since learned is that when it's grown organically by the team up there at Stonehouse Farms, they're not spraying nitrates and nitrogen, and they're not applying nitrogen to the fields to really jack up the protein in the grain like they do in North Dakota when you grow it. So they were growing it in North Dakota, jacking up the nitrogen in order to jack up the protein in order to so the monsters could get high uh, diastatic power and that Anheuser-Busch could use it uh, to make beer with all adjuncts, okay? That same exact grain grown here organically with cover crops providing the fixation of the nitrogen to the soil. Now we end up with low to moderate nitrogen, and therefore we end up with a grain that's low to moderate protein, okay? So when you have low to moderate protein, that little kernel now has more room for starch. So you end up with more starch in that kernel than you normally would, all right? Now, when you have a good plump kernel with a lot of starch and just enough protein for me to make the enzyme that I need, now we have a wonderful brewer's malt. It's very clean, has wonderful flavor, great extract, uh, and functionality in the brew house is amazing because it has a, it's very husky. So this husk also provides a wonderful filter bed. 
Um, so there's a lot of good things about it, and, and we've kind of stuck to it, and it works. Here's the best thing. It grows well here, and it has for six years. So you've heard the saying, right, if it ain't broke, right? No, that's great, Dennis. Then really, I'm really happy to have you guys on. I, I want to close out with uh, Sam again. I'm going to call your schooner Sam because uh, why not? Okay, give us a backstory. The tradition of the Hudson River boat transport, because uh, we talked about you know the ways of the uh, 1870s, 1880s. Sure. I mean, yeah that that was one of the first things that when Dennis and I got our heads together, we were joking about, but. It's the truth is that he's making malt like they made it in the 1850s and we're delivering it like it was delivered in the 1850s. And uh, it's just before there was this giant, uh, you know, highway system built up before there were all the trains going up and down the river. There was the Hudson River and people knew how to sail and boats went up and down the river. I mean, and if you if you look at old oil paintings, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous and I'm not even that into old art, honestly, but the reason I like old oil paintings from the Hudson River is it's like the photographs, right? Before photographs. And if you look at any of the paintings of the Hudson River, you see sloops and schooners, these sailboats, right? You see sails all over them. And if you start looking into it on a given day in the 1830s, there were probably like 1,200 boats on the Hudson River, right? And so to me, what's so exciting about that is not only all the stuff those boats were moving, but it also it was a culture, right? It was a culture of, of the river. It was people who understood the river, people who cared about the river, people who got their livelihood from the river. And just like we're saying, like it, it's so fun for me to roll up to Poughkeepsie, to a public park, meet Jamie, unload something that came from Germantown, hop back on the ship, sail down to Ossining, and get to tell people in Ossining what just happened up in Poughkeepsie, right? It's this sense of connection. And so it's it's something the Hudson River had, it's something the Hudson River still has, um, but but it's um, we're sort of finding it again, and it's really exciting to be part of that. And I have to say, like, for me, I love moving, I love moving whatever uh, product that people care about, right? And it's so fun to be part of this because I'm not a beer guy, honestly. That's like not something that that. Uh, All right, off that, the show. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> but no, he will but, be. He well, will yeah, be once he drinks your malt. <laughs> well, no, but and hearing you guys talk—that's what's fun about it to me—is it's like here's this story that we're part of, where where people really care about the ingredients and care about the products and care about the process. And for us, that's what we want to do is we want to help that out. And I love to be able to show up and tell people uh, how much Dennis cares about it, deliver the product with as much care as he put into making it to brewers who are going to put that much care into making a beer out of it. And so it's it's just awesome. So just, just to get – I want to stick on the boat for a minute. Um, going into both Poughkeepsie and Austining, what's it like for you as the boat captain and what's needed in these waterfront towns – to to make this you know boat transport more efficient and and to be possible for more regular use yeah i mean well that that's an awesome and a, a huge question but uh but every waterfront is different and what's really interesting about the hudson river is because it has this history all these waterfronts have history um as well right and they they to varying degrees they have different parts of it like poughkeepsie for instance poughkeepsie is kind of a, a gem in my book because it's got all this public docks 
Um, there's actually, the city owns docks at a restaurant there that are little floating docks. And then there's a big fixed pier that, I mean, it's not in the best of condition and I'm nervous like who's gonna fix it when it <laughs> falls apart any worse. But, but for us, Poughkeepsie is an awesome example of its public space. I can literally just shoot an email off to the, the city uh, officials there at the DPW, let them know we're coming in, they give us permission. You know, you gotta make sure you have insurance and little things like that so no one gets in trouble. But, and then we can just pull up to that dock unload and go. Uh, for instance, in Austining, it was a different deal. And as Matt mentioned, like we relied a little bit on Matt's connection with the yacht club there, um, which which is is great. You know, that's that's how it's going to be. And I, I certainly hope going forward, um, sort of in my winter plan, a lot of this, the work I need to do is actually making these connections. And so we are trying to make a good connection with the waterways folks and all the metro docks that are up and down the river. But yeah, every waterfront's different. And to some degree, why are waterfronts gonna figure out how, how boats show up until boats wanna show up, right? And that's what I sort of see my job as, is like, we're trying, like, like until the city of Austining realizes the potential of boats coming and bringing stuff, um, they're not gonna make it work. Like right now they have the, the ferry service and so they've got a dock dedicated to it and that's awesome. And the, the, the freight and cargo thing is a, is a totally new side of that. And so hopefully we can add on to that and soon there'll be a pier in every you know city up and down the Hudson River. But, but yeah, truthfully, everyone is different. Um, they all provide unique challenges. <laughs> and you know that, uh, you know that Austining also has a uh, connection to the common lexicon. When you hear the term, you're getting sent up the river. It was because you got sent <laughs> up the river from New York City to go to Sing Sing Correctional Facility, which is also directly on the river. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how, well, that's where that came know, from. The, huh? the future of water transport might be uh, the New York State marijuana crop when that gets legalized. So. <laughs> We will yeah. see. Um, dude, and the last thing, Sam, is what will it take to make this flourish? Because you're out there kind of like the test dummy. You're going to get battered around. You're going to probably lose some money um, if you're probably okay with that. But what what is it going to take for you to flourish? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, when I talk about it, I think about we're establishing trade routes. So we're trying to figure out these connections that work, and then we're trying to build it into a regular program. The 2020 season... I mean, for many reasons, was really just a season about let's get to know people and let's get anything done, right? Like uh, no one was trying to make any money this year off of this and it, it wasn't going to be possible. Um, but what we're trying to do is now what can we turn into regular routes? And so I'm talking with Dennis already about can this become a monthly thing? Does it maybe become a biweekly thing? Like what's the frequency at which we can be going up and down the river and delivering it? And how can we work with the breweries? We're working on getting our licensing so also we can drop off the malt and maybe pick up some beer to bring back with us, right? So, so really um, – it's not all going to be based off of one product. It's going to be based off of a network of products. And uh, I'm just so excited to add to the list and to build that. And it's very possible we'll discover that, hey, malt really needs to be moved in much bigger loads than our ship can, can manage. And so we need a bigger boat for the malt run, right? But we're not going to know that until we start doing it and until we've done it. And so far, um, you know, we did very well with the runs we did so far and malt seems like something that will work out well. But but I'm I'm all about the fact that we have to make this work. We have to experiment with it and we'll and we'll just keep pushing forward and hopefully build a network again where there's a number of different ships all on the river with the same purpose. But each one does what they're good at. And so your other goal is you, you never want to be empty. Right. So, yeah, ideally. on the way back, you want to <laughs> fill up with something and you don't know what that'll be yet. 
Um, it, it's yeah, kind of I mean, thing is more, more people. Sometimes it's people. Yeah, <laughs> more people. That's what I was thinking. Is more people figure it out and be like, "Wow, hey, I could jump jump on on the boat." I'd even go up to Austin to ride up to Hudson or something, you know. Um, but. This has been very fascinating. We're going to talk more about this. Um, just want to give one more shout out to uh, J- Jamie and Matt. Is there anything else you guys want to say before we close out? Because this is this is let's just take a step back, listeners. This is very cool. And 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 again, going back to this Vermont sale freight, like 2011 or 2012, there there have been a few visionaries who who've talked about doing working barges and other things, um, but no one's really stuck with it. Um, what about you guys in Austining, Matt? Yeah, I mean, we're we're just super excited to uh, to be on board with this project, um, you know, and uh, anything that we can do to help push it forward, we'd be more than happy to stay involved with. Yeah, and you you know you could see uh, farm products coming down from up there, and then in one of those river towns like Poughkeepsie, where all the chefs are making, uh, you know some canned products and then send them on down to the city or something. You never know. It could create a whole new industry. Um, what about you, Jamie? I know you guys have a lot of chefs in Poughkeepsie. You're near um, the CIA in Hyde Park. Yeah. I, 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 when I first talked to Sam about this idea, I, God, Sam, we must have talked for like two hours that night. Um, and just your passion and, and you know, um, inquisitiveness of how to get this up and running. Um you know, in the different places you were already working with. And, and we're, we're committed to it at Millhouse. I, I also, I'm trying to spread the good word to, you know, the brewing community is kind of small. And, um, you know, I think you said it, Sam, we're, we're dotted all along that river. So the more people who can kind of find out about what you're doing, I think brewers, you know, we are like-minded and we do want to uh, be community-minded and, and do want to be connected to the ingredients, the farmer, the source, the maltster. And, and do something that's right for the environment. Um, you know, brewing isn't exactly the most eco-friendly activity. And, you know, if hopefully as a brewer, you're, you're being as responsible as you can and embracing the best practices. This is one of them. And I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, you know, I know we're talking about we'd love to put some barrels on that boat of yours, Sam, so we can uh, do some ship-rocked IPA that we do every year. We float some some IPA out on that Hudson and bring it back in. And uh, we, we actually donate that to a different charitable cause on the river. Which Well, that's great. And then Dennis, last thing, um, what does it take to, to be an apprentice with you? Um, you know, if, if I'm going in there my first, first couple weeks, what would you have me doing at, at the malt house? You, you wouldn't last a day. <laughs> I know. Okay. So, so <laughs> we have people that quit after three days, Jimmy. So, it's not, it's, you've, you've got to be strong. You've got to be able to hustle. You've got to be able to think, use your senses, um, because we are making malt like 1850. But I would say, Jimmy, I would love my vision as, as we close this out. When you've got brewers like Jamie Bishop over at Millhouse Brewing and brewers like Matt uh, Curtin in Sing Sing making amazing, fresh, flavorful beers from malts made from our hard work here. I mean, uh, if their customers are loving their beers and they are succeeding and they are making more and more beers using more and more of our malts, I go back to my growers and ask them to plant more and more acreage. And they go, really? 
And I go, yes. And so I'm contracting with them to grow more and more and more barley from the ground here in the Hudson Valley. Brewers like Jamie and Matt making beers from grains that are grown here. And now shipping it, you know, from May through October up and down the river towns um, from from Hudson all the way down to to New York City. Um, I, I, I say that that is something that's good for everybody. And, and I don't think it's a pipe dream. Things are growing. Things are good. Um, we're on fire. And uh, it's really, really cool to be uh, involved with Captain Sam and brewers like Jamie and Matt. And, of course, you, Jim. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. I, I remember mm-hmm. I first met you. It was 2014. We had the New York City Brewers Choice. And June Russell and Grow NYC were involved. And the governor was just really getting behind uh, promoting the, the the farm, craft farm, you know, acts and everything. Um, you guys have come a long way. And I remember back then, that first year, 2014, a number of, of, of bigger breweries like I know um, Omegang made a batch of you know, regional malt beer. And all those brewers were uh, like Jeff O'Neill also when he was at Peaksco. All they complained about was just that, you know, it was different than, than what they were getting from, you know, the, the larger producers. And now we're seeing, wow, you know, like you said, you're creating the supply chain and people are using it. And um, I'm really proud of you guys. You, you, you've been a visionary and uh, just want to thank you. So we got to wrap this up because this is like three shows and, 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 and we got it, guys. We wanted to do a malt show. We got the malt show and the sale freight show in one. So this this is what's going on in, in Metro New York area, guys. So thanks, everybody. Thanks to our our intern, Caroline Fox. Our engineer extraordinaire, Matt Patterson, is back with us. Thank you. Uh, we missed having you on Beer Sessions Radio, Matt. And big shout-out to all the guests, um, Matt, Jamie, Dennis, and Schooner Sam. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.